I know Miss Megan is not here. Miss Megan is not here today, but um, I appreciate you guys. Man, didn't these guys do a great job? Amen. Man, God is so good. I just believe that the Lord wants to see us in victory. I believe God has a, a plan, and, and the enemy wants to shake us. The enemy wants to cause us to be hopeless. I celebrate the, the decision made by the Supreme Court. Amen. I mean, not everybody grasps that. Not even some people in the church world grasp the, the idea because there's been a generation, 50 years, that has been blinded. 50 years that has been kept from truth and the understanding. And, and, and we've gotten to a place where life is insignificant anymore. I mean, when, a, when, a, when the... When the life of a puppy is more important than the life of a baby, right? I mean, these are, the, these are the things that are happening in our society. I mean, they're devastated because a little fish gets into the, 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 the line, water lines in, in California. To, and so they, they would literally cause a drought in the farms to save a fish. But yet, when it comes to the life of a child... I mean, it's proof. It's not, it's not that it's not proof. It's proof that a heartbeat is in that baby. It's proof that there's pain in the womb. You can see a child grimace in pain. I mean, think of even John the Baptist leapt in his mother's womb at the voice and the, the sound of hearing of the Messiah coming. Even the word of God says, I knew you in your mother's womb. And I appointed you, come on, a prophet to the nations, talking to Jeremiah. I, I believe it was a, a monumental moment. But I want you to understand the chaos that has erupted after. It's because of a generation who's lost. It's because of the eyes of society has been culturalized in, in, in a, and I'll say it this way, Babylonianized in, into this idea that life is insignificant. Why is the murder rate so high? Because life is insignificant when sin abounds, right? When sin is so wretched, the darkness has settled in. And, and let me tell you something, though we have a monumental victory, so to speak, let me help you understand that the war for the lives of people and the lives of our society is not over. I mean, the enemy is still on attack. The enemy is still trying to thwart the power of God. He has been doing this for a long time, right? You look at Pharaoh, Pharaoh tried to kill off the next generation. Herod tried to kill off the next generation. We're just seeing the killing off of the next generation because they're afraid of the prophetic voice that God has put in the next generation. 
Why does it make me so happy to see these young people on fire for God? Why does it make me so happy to see them in the altars with their hands raised and their testimonies of how God baptized them in the Holy Ghost? Because I know that this is the next voice, that this is the voice of the prophetic for this generation and God's doing something powerful. Amen? We can't get comfortable. We, we can't get lackadaisical. The reason that those things took place and the reason that things are taking place in our society today is because the, the body of Christ got lackadaisical. We've been mediocre. We've, we've been accustomed and we've been two-faced because we have enjoyed the pleasures that the world has given us. The Word of God tells us, be in the world but not of the world. And we've got comfortable in the world. We've got comfortable in Babylon, and, and, and yet we now we've compromised, and we wonder why the compromising is continuing even further and further. We can't blame anybody else but the body of Christ. Amen. It's time for us to have a resolve like Daniel. Amen. Amen? It's time for us to stand up and be men and women of God. It's time for us to truly stand firm in the faith to grab a hold of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus and know that we won't trust in chariots or horses. <laughs> we will trust in the name of our God. Amen. Father, I pray that for the next few moments, God, that you'll give me wisdom and direction to be sensitive to your spirit, to recognize that, that you desire to move amongst us. God, help us to be challenged to to look at the life of Daniel and to allow his life to show us how we maneuver in this culture of the world that is so anti-God, that is so anti-your truth and anti-your presence. There's been a spirit of antichrist that's been on the earth for a long time. And it's rooted itself deeply in our society. It's rooted itself deeply even in some cases in the church. And I pray, God, that you'll help us to be wise, not in our own eyes, but wise in you, Lord Jesus, to understand your truth, to live out your truth. As Jehoshaphat said, Lord, when I don't know what to do, God, my eyes are on you. Lord, let us put our eyes on you this morning. Let us surrender to you, Jesus. Let your, let your voice be heard in this place today. Let your truth be delivered to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. Do you love him this morning? <laughs> Man, he is so good. So good. I, don't, I might even break out the glasses today. Come on. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 1, starting with verse 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, and along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shiner. Say the land of Shiner. The land of Shiner. To the house of his God. And he brought 
the vessels into the treasury of God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the, the chief of the officials or the eunuchs, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. The royal literally means the seed of. Youths in whom was no defect, who were good looking, kind of like myself, some sh showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom. Lord help us, right? Endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. Sound familiar, guys? The king appointed for them a daily ration from the king's choice food and from the wine which he drank. And he appointed that they should be educated three years that at the end of which they would they were to enter into the king's personal service. Verse 6. Now among them from the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then the commander of the officials assigned new names to them. And to Daniel he assigned the name Belshazzar. And to Hananiah Shadrach. And to Mishael Meshach. And to Azariah Abednego. Wow. It's a powerful scripture here. I mean, when you think of what this society is going through, what, what these things are happening with them, it's kind of like, can you imagine in our day, a foreign agency coming in and, and wiping away, just coming in and conquering the United States of America. And before the news is actually clipped, before uh, they invade the news stations to take over the news, we start seeing and hearing of churches being burned down and, and, and all these things taking place. And, and then we get in our car and we drive down the street and we see churches being burned down. We come to our own church and we see it on fire and families around uh, worried and fearful and, and crying and weeping. The place where maybe your son or daughter was married. The place where you've uh, had a funeral for a loved one. A place that has been a treasure for you. A place where you have found consolence uh, and a, a place where you found solace so many times has been wiped away. You drive down and you see your school. The place where you have cherished, that has educated you, that has uh, given you identity and some sense of your, of your cultural ID, and, 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 and yet the sign has been torn down, and the football field, of all things, has been plowed through. The building's torn down. Some of the students are saying, thank you, Jesus, the school got burned. But that's what was happening in the idea of Daniel. That's what was taking place. Literally, they had came in and, and, and took them and, and, and raised all to the ground their places of worship, destroying them, and then took them on a journey 680 miles away to the modern day, what we would call Iraq. And so they had no choice. They, 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 they had to go. They had to do what they had to do. And, and, and they took the, the best and the brightest I don't understand what all took place. I mean, you're talking about the socially elites, the, 
the cream of the crop, if you will, the, the most handsome, the most intellectuals. They, they grabbed all these people and it's kind of like the first round draft picks and the five stars were there being picked up and said, well, we'll take them. I, I can imagine what Daniel was thinking and as, as he was being separated from his friends, as being separated from his family. I don't know if they... Uh, if, if they murdered them in front of them. I don't know how uh, the, the emotion. I mean, you're talking about Daniel was probably in between of the age 13 and 17. Can you imagine? Being ripped from your home, being ripped from everything you have uh, loved and, and have adored and has trained you and equipped you and being ripped from that at such a young age. Wow. But you know what I see in this first part one and two, I mean, we, we, we realized when it happened, it happened early on, it happened right after, see, Babylon had conquered Egypt and, and, and because Egypt was aligned with Judah, can you imagine that? Judah was aligned with Egypt because it was Pharaoh who had placed Jehoiakim as the king of Israel and, and, and he had placed him at such a young age, he was 25 years old when he took over and the Bible tells us that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, right? We see all this taking place and how that took, and how he had done it. And in reality, not only that, but Jehoiakim in Jeremiah 36, 23, it says that when the, when the scroll was read to him, when he was hearing the word of God, he was disgusted by God. He was put off by the words of God and literally tore the scroll and threw it into the fire. That's the kind of leader that was leading God's people. Someone who was, didn't have the fear of the Lord. Someone who didn't have the audacity to trust God. Who, someone who was willing to throw away history and seeing how God had moved over and over and over again. Was willing to look past all that God had done and was willing to throw it all away. God help us, right? God help us. Nebuchadnezzar... I mean, he was just doing his things. I mean, he was all about himself. I mean, this is the architect of the hanging gardens, the, the, one of the seven wonders of the world. He was so full of himself that he built a, a statue 90 foot tall, nine feet wide. Now you think of how big is that? Well, the lights that you can barely look up and see because they're bright. They're at a level of 26 feet. The peak of this building is 45 feet. So when you think of the stature of this statue that he built of himself, was 90 feet tall. It was double the height of this building, nine feet wide. And he demanded people to bow down before him. He was full of himself. He was full of pride, full of arrogance. Wow. And so when I look at the scripture, I say, why was Daniel written? Why is this so important? Why is this story, this event so important to us today? How does it signify? Well, I go back to that, that phrase that says, in the land of Shiner. In the land of Shiner. Gives me my first clue. Because when you look at where it says, in the land of Shiner, if you are one who takes notes in your Bible like I am, you'd write beside it Genesis chapter 11, 1 through 9. Because in Genesis chapter 11, 1 through 9, we read about the Tower of Babel, and, and the Tower of Babel was in Shiner. Right? 
He wanted us to understand that this is where he was. He was at a place that was full of itself. He was in a place where, well, Nebuchadnezzar had built his temple, where he had built a place of worship to his gods. And he wanted them to understand that this, this is a place that God had also detested because of the pride of the people. Back in Genesis chapter 11, when they were full of themselves and they had come together in one language and began to build a tower and a city to themselves so high that they, could, they said they could reach God and God was disgusted by their pride. And the Bible said that he confused their language and he separated them across the world, right? He wanted them to understand, this is where I am. This is what I want you to remember. And, and just as God had allowed the people to, to be full of themselves in those days, so that hopefully they would, they would be broken and come back to him, how much have we walked in our own ways so much that we find ourselves depressed, struggling, hopeless, feeling downcast. And God is all along saying, I'm right here. I've not left you. I've left you to yourself. I've allowed you to do your thing because it's your choice. Right? Somebody says, we don't have a choice. Everybody's got a choice. You either live for him or live against him. You've got a choice. God help us to come back to him, right? But the second thing I see of the why of this story is, is there in Daniel chapter 1, verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands along with some of the vessels, say vessels, vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasury of his God. Daniel's story is in the Bible so that we today can understand what hope really is. So that we can grasp a hold of the true significance of having hope. I believe when we look at this scripture, we could absolutely know <laughs> the, the absolute sovereignty of God because God is sovereign. God is sovereign in every situation. God is sovereign. It might not look like the sovereignty of God taking place, but let me help you grasp a hold that the sovereignty of God is still intact and he is in control in every situation. Amen? Amen. Amen. I mean, when we look at our society, the, there's a, a, a recent Pew Center survey that said that our society is lacking hope struggling with hope. The, there's, Americans are not optimistic about the future. Most people see a bleak future in so many areas. Widespread depression, widespread addiction and drug abuse and suicide and all these things we, we, we see that taking place all around us. And so therefore, our society doesn't have a great view of what the future looks like. Some of our own people, some of us, even myself, have struggled looking at what it looks like around us. Can I get an amen? amen? It's heartbreaking. It's, it's a struggle. But, but I'm reminded that, 
that even Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 10 and 29 that not even a sparrow can fall from the sky without God's knowledge of it, amen? And, and the very next verse in verse 30 says that he knows the number of hair on our head. Can you imagine God knowing so much about you? That means he cares, doesn't it? That means he knows and he cares and he's compassionate and he loves you. What is hope? We understand what hope is. We understand that hope is the desire for something good in our future. Hope, when we talk about hope, we often uh, uh, talk about uncertain things that we might not uh, see happen, but we have a hope that it will happen, right? We have an idea that it will happen. It's kind of like saying, I'm going to be at my job 30 years. But the uncertainty comes in when we say, well, I'm not sure if my boss will like me for 30 years, right? We might say, well, I'm going to be a starter on the varsity team. And yet, the uncertainty is, is we don't know what the team's going to look like next year. So there's always these things that try to, to take away our hope. Always these things that try to cause uncertainty in our life and makes hope so, uh, so hard to grasp a hold of, so elusive. But in reality, God wants us to have hope in him. Confidence, right? Yeah. Confidence. I love um, what Jaden said last week, that we should come to church with an expectation to experience God. I mean, that's what hope is. Hope is an expectation that when we come in, that we know that God is real, and we know that if we show up with an expectation, that we will meet God. Amen? Amen. I asked him what he's preaching today, and he wouldn't give me his message. Well, I'm going to I'm gonna have to sharpen the tools these days. <laughs> Amen. But Daniel shows us an unwavering, an unshakable hope. Because even when all these things are taking place, there was something deep inside of him that would not waver. Something deep inside of him that, that clung to what God had spoken to him. And, and today when we see uh, our streets being trashed. We see literally there were three churches in Knoxville this week who had signs posted on them that we will come for you. Let me tell you something. It's not going to get any easier. The more we push, push in and press, press into the presence of God, the enemy is going to push back and bring an attack against us and a counterattack. But I want you to understand that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We will stand on the word of God and the truth of God no matter what. And if anything wavers, let me tell you, if this building has to be taken away and we have to meet at somebody's house, we will still stand for Jesus Christ because we know that he is the way, truth, and life. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it is the power of God unto salvation. I will lift up his name no matter what. Amen. Hallelujah. You're not going to silence the voice of God. Amen. An unshakable hope. But you know, there was also an unmovable grit that he had. Sometimes I get frustrated with teenagers. Y'all know what I'm talking about, do you? That coming of self, you know, stretching the wings and, you know, uh, 
pushing back with authority. <laughs> Lord Jesus, right? But there's a good side of those things. And I'm so thankful that to hear some of the testimonies of even our young people who have been put in positions to be tested and tempted and them saying, no, that's not who I am. Because in today's society, let me encourage you people, it's going to take a, a, it's going to take a grit, an unmovable grit to say, I will not bend, I will not back down, I will not give in, I will not, I will not take what you're offering me, I will not follow you, I am who I am because he has made me who I am. Amen? Amen. I mean, I think of Daniel being ripped once again out of his environment as a teenager, probably a young teen. And, and not only him, but so many others. But there were three friends that were identified, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were forced to leave their homes and go into exile. Can you imagine? It's kind of like being from Greenback. Little spot in the road, you know what I'm saying? How many red lights y'all got now? One or two? None. Don't even have a, don't even have a flasher. <laughs> it might have a stop sign. An intersection. Can you imagine being, you know, not having left your environment, being raised there, grown up in that in that small community and, and how loving and compassionate it was and how everybody knew your name. Everybody knew you. Everybody knew all about you. I mean, you couldn't get away with anything. And yet here you were ripped from that environment, taken to, uh, let's say, New York City. <laughs> Downtown. <laughs> South Bronx. <laughs> we got both spectrums in here today, boys. And, 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 and it's like overwhelming. I remember I had a, an, a cousin, second cousin, and Lord, it was Star, South Carolina. It was like Greenback. And uh, my dad had broke down in Atlanta. My dad called and said, said, hey, would you come and pick me up? And he was like a deer in headlights. He got to Atlanta, he pulled over and said, I, I, don't, I, I can't do it. He said, I can't get, I don't know where, I don't know where I'm, I don't know what to do. I'm lost. I mean, he went from a two-lane street to, you know, 10 lanes. I'm like, what in the world just happened? Bumper to bumper. Uh, and that's the way, that's the way, can you imagine these, how these boys felt? A complete different culture, complete different mentality, complete different idea, complete different language than they were used to speaking. Drug into that. And it wasn't that mom and dad was with them to hold their hands and say, it's going to be all right. They were literally by themselves, overwhelmed by society, overwhelmed by what was going on. And Nebuchadnezzar ordered the chief of the court to basically Babylonianize them. He wanted to bring them in, mold them into this environment, sought to isolate them from their spiritual heritage and, and did everything possible that he could get the church out of them. Kind of like that song, the devil, devil can take me out of the church, but he can't take the church out of me, right? Y'all know that song? That's what he tried to do. I mean, first of all, they, the, the, one of the first things, they changed their name. How many know the society wants to change your identity? 
They want to zap you from what you, God created you to be. They want to take your dependence on God, your identity in God away. And they want to transform you. That's the same Babylonianizing that they did then they're doing today. God help us, right? I mean, why would they want to change their name? Why would, there you see in Daniel chapter 1 and 7, why would you want to change their name? Because you see these boys' names, uh, Daniel and, and Mishael, ended with the word E-L, E-L, which mean God. They want to take away their identity in God. Daniel's name meant God is my judge. Mishael's name meant who is like God. Azariah's name means one who Yahweh helps. And Hananiah means Yahweh is gracious. Wow. You better believe they're going to change their names. Because they don't want them to recognize that God is gracious. They don't want them to recognize that God is their help. They don't want them to recognize that God is their judge. They don't want them to recognize that, that who is like God, right? So they gave them these Babylonian names. And when you look at these Babylonian names, they're actually modeled after the gods of Babylonia, the god of Marduk and the god of Baal and the god of Nebo. Wow. Here these four teenagers were targets of intense re-education program, hoping that they could erase their faith identities and connect them to the gods that were cherished by the world's value system. Let me tell you, young people, let me tell you, adults in this room, the word of God tells us in Romans chapter 12 and 2, be not conformed. Be not conformed to this world, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? I mean, there's, 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 a, there's a push in our society to conform us. They don't want us to, uh, anytime we object, it's, we're automatically bigots. They, they want to they wanna victimize us and call us all these names and tell us that we're so bad because we don't agree with them. But I'm here to encourage you, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Come on. God, renew our mind. Amen. Why? So that we will be able to test, discern what is the will of God. People don't know. me. Everybody's asking, what, what does God want me to do? Well, listen, don't be conformed to the world. Number one, don't be conformed to the world. I can tell you that the will of God is don't be conformed to the world. Because when you allow God to transform your mind, then you're able to clearly hear the voice of God. You're able to clearly walk in the steps that he has ordered for you. And he is able to direct you and lead you into his path of righteousness. He's able to cover you. Amen? Amen. Listen, why do we have a recovery program? Because, let me, let me help you understand what recovery is. Because the fact is, is that when you walk in sin, you come out from under the covering of God. You become an open vessel to the attacks of the enemy and we recover because we want to get back under the covering of God's authority, amen? He who abides in the shadow of the Almighty, right? And so we want to, we want to see the people who are broken, who are struggling, who are addicts, who are hurting and have habits. We want to see them come back under the covering of God's authority so that we can raise them up in the truth and the wisdom and the glory and the honor of God. We want to see them walking in the righteousness of God. Amen. 
I don't know who said we got to be down there at 1230. Oh, y'all killing me. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Your job, mom, dad, is to stamp identity on your children. Is to refortify the truths of God's word. Is to help solidify who they are in Christ Jesus. Man, to stamp that in them, to allow them to understand that they have the DNA that God has in them, amen? That they're, they're bought with a price, they're a child of God. They don't have to walk and struggle in the things of the world that they know who they are in Christ Jesus. Kids are walking around, I don't know who I am. It's probably because parents don't know who they are. I mean, we, we, we see this watered down society. I mean, I don't know about you, but I was taught who I was. I remember I was going to a Hank Williams Jr. concert. Yes, I wasn't always saved. And I, told, I happened to slip up. Mom found out I was going to get an earring. My dad says, son, if you come back home with an earring, you better find yourself another place to live. Oh, God, help us, right? Come on. Come on. He wasn't just talking about that. He said, you going to buy dresses to go along with it? You going to get you some lipstick, too? Maybe he was rough. He's 85 years old today. He was raised. He was raised very strict. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful. I'm, look, if you have earrings, that's okay. He, he also told me, he says, I talked about getting a tattoo. He said, are you a Volkswagen? He said, a Volkswagen might need a tattoo, but a Lamborghini don't need one. He taught me to value myself and, and think. I mean, look, do you have, I mean, look, I know, and I'm not, look, if you've got them, I'm not against you. I'm just saying that's the way I was raised. I was raised to teach value to my kids. I was raised to teach my kids who they are, that they didn't have to bow down to anybody else. They didn't have to look like anybody else. They didn't have to act like anybody else. They can be who they are. They can go against the grain. They didn't have to look and do what everybody else was doing. They didn't have to act crazy. They didn't have to lose their mind when they turned 13. They can actually say, I'm not doing that. I don't have to do that. I don't have to, when I get 21, go to a bar and drink just to say I can. I don't have to, right? But we have to teach them. We have to equip them. We have to train them. We have to raise them up in the truth. Because let me tell you something. The educational system is not going to do it for you. When you look at the educational system that Daniel and them had to be thrust into, 
They were thrust into the Babylonian system. They had reading Babylonian literature with Babylonian teachers using Babylonian language, and they were thrust into this environment. God help our children today. Where there's such an idea to change history, to try to sideswipe truth, to take away God out of our society. To take away truths of, of who God is. I'm thankful that we still live in this wonderful part of Tennessee where there's still some good Christian teachers that are sitting behind desks and though they're being pressured by the outside world, they're saying, we will not teach that garbage to our children. Thank God for that. But man, we need to pray because there is such a, a push from our society to, to, to bring about ideas that are contrary to God's word in everything. I mean, when, whatever happened to math being math? Whatever happened to allowing the Bible as a part of literature in the schools? Whatever happened to history being history? And we talked about the, the actual facts of history instead of some do, indoctrination of how they want you to think history happened. God help us, right? Like a three-year indoctrination. Three years. Sounds a lot like some of the colleges that are out there today. Indoctrination processes. Man, it, it, it worries me to send kids off today into the mindsets of many secondary education facilities. I mean, it's mind-boggling, the, the, the struggles. I've heard parents after parents, even my own self, thinking of my kid having to go into a secular, uh, secular university, and, and, and especially one who's taking the science and mathematics field. And, and, and I asked him, I said, are you pressured? And he said, fortunately, no. He said, but there are definitely mindsets and, mind, and views that, that are pushed and promoted. He said, but I don't feel pressured to be something I'm not. But that's not the case in every scenario. That's not the case with every teacher. And so we need to make sure our children are formed well. What, what's so amazing to me is that here are these, these young teenage boys withstood three years of indoctrination and come out on the other side and said, we will not bow down. <laughs> Amen? God, help us. I'm closing. Y'all better come up here. The world wants to indoctrinate us. The world wants us to, to feast at their educational tables and, and our identities to be wiped away. They want the God that we trust in to be taken out of schools, taken out of society. They don't want to believe the way we believe. And it's amazing how when you turn away from God, how now a, a, a minute portion of our society is pushed the agenda on every one of us that we all have to just bow down to it as if it's real and truth. The king wanted them to be dependent. 
Think about this. In verse 5, it says, The king appointed for them a daily ration. Say daily ration. Daily ration. Man. We went to Cuba. I went to Cuba and spent a week there and, and, and I saw all these amazingly bright people. I'm talking doctors. Brilliant. Because when you consider that their literacy rate is way, I mean, it's way high, man. They, everybody's educated. Cuba's a very smart, intelligent people. Matter of fact, some of the greatest doctors around South America and Central America come from Cuba. Great. But then you go in and you sit down and talk with them and they're rationed a certain amount of rice a day. Rationed a certain amount of meat. The tourists, they have two different stores because they have two different monetary systems. They have the monetary system for all the tourists who come. It's a two for one. Give them a dollar, you get two of theirs. But that's not the dollar that everybody else of the community works by. Because if you go into the back streets, you find the stores that they have to go to. And the monetary system they use is totally different. And so what they get to glean from is basically clothes that we've thrown away. Clothes that you might pack up and, and, and send off. They're sent in big bags and bulks into these back streets and charged. I read an article just a couple years ago. Cuba's allowing their people to have cell phones. Psh, that's baloney. Yes, if you can have the tourist dollar, you could get a cell phone. But the mass majority of people, they don't have that. They're not able to, to get that. And so therefore, though they were educated, though they were smart and brilliant people, though they understood, why do you think all the Cubans want to risk their lives to get in a boat that may or may not make it just to get to this place? Because it's not that they're dumb. They're, they're educated, smart, capable. Doc, listen, I was at a, at a hotel and I met this young lady who was cleaning the rooms. I began talking to her. She was from Cuba. She said, I, I escaped Cuba. I said, what was your profession? She said, I was a lawyer. <laughs> a lawyer, imagine that. Here she is cleaning rooms because she can do better cleaning rooms in the United States than she can as a lawyer in Cuba. The world wants to get us so dependent on its system that we lose sight of the trust of God. It wants to get us so dependent on their daily operation that we lose sight of our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the fact that Daniel was wise enough to recognize that he didn't want to fall in the trap of the daily ration. 
Now, I don't want to get involved with the king's food because one, it's probably food that's been sacrificed. It's probably not kosher. It's probably not a plan that he could identify with and he couldn't remain faithful. But you know, what I love about Daniel is he wasn't belligerent. He didn't go scorched earth. I'm not doing this. You're crazy. I'm not going to do that. No way. We'll never win the battle by fighting the same way the world fights. You can't win that way. It just makes us look just like them. What sets us apart? You know what sets us apart? It's Stephen. Stephen. When he bowed down looked up to the Lord and saw the Lord and as they were stoning him (laughs) come on right I pray that we don't get to that place I pray that I pray that the rapture comes before but I don't want you to be ignorant brothers because if it comes to persecution in this world Are you willing to keep the faith like Daniel? Are you willing to stand under the pressure of the society that will demonize you and make you look like you're belligerent and hate you? And say, I will stand for the Lord. I will stand for Jesus. I will live for him. You know, Hezekiah, probably considered by some the these boys were descendants they were considered descendants of Hezekiah and before Hezekiah was like let me read this to you I know I gotta close this is what it says in 2 Kings 20 it says hear the word of the Lord Behold, the days are coming when when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Think about that. A hundred years before the Babylonian invasion, Isaiah tells Hezekiah, if you do this, this is what's going to take place. If you continue in these ways, this is what's going to happen. Guess what Hezekiah said? He said to Isaiah in in 2 Kings 20 verse 19, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. God help us. That we don't collateralize our children just so we can have a little peace today. Well, let's just keep the peace. We won't start no trouble. I'm not saying take up the roles of activists. I'm saying we need to get on our knees before the Lord 
And if the activists come, we won't back down from the truth. We're not going to compromise. We're not going to put aside our faith. We're going to stand in the gap for our children. We're going to make sure that God is the priority in our homes. We're going to show our children that the only way is Jesus Christ. Amen? It can't be anything else. You can't prioritize anything else in this world any longer. It has to be the Lord Jesus is the priority of our home. Our children will be in church. Our children will be discipled. Our children will live for God because we in our home, as come on, as the prophet said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. It's got to be that way. We can no longer compromise. We can no longer play games. We can no longer allow the enemy to take control and take us away from church. We need each other now more than ever. We need to be connected now more than ever. We need each other relationally now more than ever. Our children need to be a part of the community of faith now more than ever. Look, we can look at the enemies of our society. We can look how Russia is trying to reform the, the United States, the Soviet States of Russia, the USSR, and how they've already taken portions of Georgia and how now they've taken portions of Ukraine and they've already allied themselves with Belarus. And we can see how some of that's already taking place. And we can look and, oh my goodness. We can see how China has taken parts of the South China Sea and and dominated uh, islands and built military bases already on islands that was not theirs. We can look at those things. We can look how pesky uh, North Korea has now becoming cozy with Russia and China and and how that uh, they can cause all these problems. We can look at Gog and Magog, if you will. We can look at Iran and how they're forming. Just in the past few months, we can see in South America the socialist movement that has swept across election after election after election. Look, it's coming. It's coming. But I don't believe that the destruction of the United States will be because of an outside force. I believe that the demise that we will face is because the people have compromised their faith. It's because we've laid down at the altar of the gods of this world and we said, we don't want to cause a problem. We'll just accept whatever you want us to do. God, help us to once again get so determined that we, like Daniel, say respectfully, I won't take it. (laughs) Right? He made up his mind. He had a resolve. I will not bow down. I will not be controlled by the world. I will not surrender myself to the gods of this world. I will not eat the foods that have been offered to the gods of this world. I will turn myself to him and trust God because I know that he has got my back. I'll be like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and says, 
my God will save me. And even if he doesn't, I will not bow down. Even if it means that you have to throw me into the fire, I will not bow down. There has to be an, a grit about us, a determination that says this book above everything else will become the priority of my life. It'll become the priority of my family. It will be the life force in my life. It will be what directs my path. It will be what illuminates my way. This book is all that I need. I will trust the Lord and Him alone because He is my way. He's my salvation. He's my hope. I always struggled when Jesus said, don't take them out of the world. <laughs> I didn't come take them out of the world. He wants us to be in the world, but not of the world. Guys, I, I pray that you will have a determination that says, God, you have left me in this world for a purpose. And everything that happens to me, whether it be circumstantial, whether it be health, whether it be an attack of the enemy, whatever happens, God, you lead me. You show me what to do. You show me how to respond. You show me how to win those who are broken. You show me how to love those who are unlovable. You show me that you are the hope of glory. And I'm going to hang on. Amen? Just ask me, Pastor. I'm ready to take a stand. I'm ready to say, I have an unshakable hope and I have an unmovable grit. I will stand when everything else has been shaken. I'll stand. Amen. If that's you, would you stand to your feet right now? Amen. Father, God, I thank you, Jesus, that you gave us this event to show us that historical things happen and have happened throughout history. And we are not immune to, to the destruction. We're not immune to poor leadership. We're not immune to, to demonic things happening in our society. We're not immune. When ungodly leadership takes place, it affects everything under them. But God, we say that we will continue to pray for those you have set before us. We will continue to keep our eyes on you, knowing that when we don't know what to do, God, you will direct our path. You will lead us into the way of righteousness. God, we pray that you will help us God, to show the love of Jesus into every facet of our life. That we'll show the truth to every person who is hungry, every person who is longing. God, that you'll help us to be the light in darkness, the clarity in the cloudiness. God, when people don't understand and they're trying to find hope, I pray that you will help us to be that hope giver, that life giver, that love initiator, the one that transforms lives because we are conformed to your purpose and your plan. God, I pray for an anointing to rest upon 
everyone that is in this room today that you'll give us the unshakable hope to live for you like Daniel. That you'll give us the, the unmovable grit to say that we will not back down and we will not bow down to the world system. But we will serve you with all of our heart, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. God, I pray for you to guard our people, protect us, give us a covering of your presence, give us a covering of your authority. Lord, let us walk in the boldness of your truth and let us walk in the boldness of your anointing and power. God, we thank you, Jesus, that you are the King of glory and the King of kings and your kingdom reigns forever and ever and ever. And we are the people of your kingdom, the sheep of your pasture. Encourage and bless in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Do you love him? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Guys, I hope and pray that you will meet us down in uh, Townsend here in a little bit. I have two that I'm going to be baptizing. If you, somebody else you know would like to be baptized, we're going to baptize in the river. Uh, bring your extra clothes and come on. If you are going to youth camp, if, one of your, if your child or you, you are going to youth camp, come over here and see Justin just for a moment.